My name is Kathy Connor, and I'm one of the pastors here at First Pres. And I love reminding us all that worship is God's Thanksgiving party. And just like home, we're invited to come just as we are. Our hope is that you will deepen in your relationship with Jesus or begin to understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. If you're new to First Pres, welcome. And we invite you to go to our website after worship, fill out a connect card, which you can access by scanning the QR code. It will take you directly to the connect card so that we might encourage you, pray for you, and answer any questions that you might have. We also invite those of you online to share the service on Facebook so that others might join us in worship this morning. Please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, as we walk into a week that beckons us more and more towards thanksgiving, we know that everything we have and everything we are came from you. We know, Lord, that you woke us up into this day and you invited us to be with each other, to be with you, and to greet this day as a gift. Lord, everything we have is a gift from you, and we hold it so tenderly now because in our lives there are so many complex issues, not only with the pandemic, the economy, and everything else that just seems to be bombarding us. In the middle of that, there you stand, promising your presence, promising that you'll hold us by the hand, promising your grace and your mercy, which we desperately need. 
So Lord, help us to even begin today to understand that every day is Thanksgiving Day because of you. And Lord, there are people that we know and love who are grieving, who are hurting. We want to lift up David Martin, Allison Walsh, Megan Long, in the loss of their mother and David's wife, Denise Martin, yesterday to a sudden heart attack. Oh God, our hearts are grieving, all of us that knew her and loved her, and yet we're so grateful that she walked out her life in gratitude, Father. Wrap your arms around this precious family and hold them close. We also pray for Nancy and Gary Paget, their son Stephen, who were in a car accident last week, and ask for your gracious healing over them. We also, Lord, pray for friends and family members of Teresa Makajewski, new to First Press, seeking you and seeking community, who was hit and killed last Sunday by a drunk driver. Oh God, there are so many of these friends who are grieving deeply and we know that you are the only way through that grief. Lord, I ask that you would bless and tenderly care for everyone as they think about gathering this week, perhaps unable to be with the fullness of their family because of the pandemic. Lord, would you just enter into places of loneliness and isolation and tenderly care for people that may feel, Lord, desperately alone? Oh God, as we worship you now, we want to celebrate your goodness which happens all at the same time as these other hard things. We're so thankful, Lord, that everywhere we look, even as we look at each other and look at you this morning, we have reason after reason to be thankful. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And now I want to invite you all to jump up, say hi, and meet the folks around you. And for those of you online, greet each other in the chat line. Oh, 
Friends, on Christmas Eve, we have two services, one at 3 p.m., one at 5 p.m., and because of limited capacity, we're asking that you sign up and reserve your seat now on our website. And as registration fills up, we are creating an overflow room in Proximity Hall. It will be jolly, it will be joyful, it will have all the elements that we love the most about being together on Christmas Eve with candles, communion, and it will be live streamed from Proximity Hall. But we promise for that part of your experience to be just as wonderful as one that would be in here also. We also want you to know that as foster kids come from places of trauma and instability, you and I have the opportunity to make sure that children in our city know that they are cherished, treasured, and loved by Jesus and by us. You can do that by choosing a child from the foster angel tree out front, or you can choose a child to bless by going on our website. Either way, you will access a child and their Christmas wish list. All the information you need to navigate that will be there. You can even order gifts through Amazon <clears throat> and have them mailed to Ashley Waters. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul said to people living in Corinth. He said to them, you will be enriched with the generosity of God so that you can be generous on every occasion. And as a result, we will break out into thanksgiving to God. Will you indeed have given so generously that we are all breaking out into thanksgiving to God together? And there are men, women, and children in our city and beyond who are the beneficiaries of your sweet generosity, and they can't believe that you would love them and care for them, even though you don't know them by name. Here are five ways that you can continue to bless lives and bless hearts. Please stand and let's continue to worship this morning. Sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life
eternal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hell. But when death was arrested in my life, he did. For your grace, so free, you wash it all over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new, now life begins with you. Oh, we're free, free, forever we're free. Now join the song of all the beat. Yes, we're free, free, forever, amen. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song.
How about that music? Huh? Hey, it's just awesome to be doing this, what we do on Sunday morning. If you're online, I hope you're resonating, connecting, celebrating. Here in the room, the same thing. Let's just continue in these next few minutes to try to do what we want to do, which is to connect with each other and with God and to sense a celebration about all the things that are going on that are good and also to sense the challenge that sometimes is a part of what we have to be doing when we think about following Jesus. So I want you to notice the slide up here. It's called Generational Impact, and you can see on the slide, excuse me, I'm catching my breath. I was hooting and hollering down here. (laughs) I happen to like all three of those songs a lot, and I knew ahead of time we were singing them, so I've been jazzed all week. So up here, a picture. You'll notice that it's Thanksgiving. We have Thanksgiving coming this week, and Thanksgiving for you and for me, people who want to figure out what it means to be Jesus followers, what Thanksgiving means is we base everything in gratitude because as Kathy said a few minutes ago every single thing is a gift from God who gives richly you you can be proud about what you've accomplished but everything you've accomplished you were set up by what you were given by God everything everything life itself breath so here you see three generations and we're doing a, we're going to do a, a bit of a word play on this what you have there is grandparents parents child so you have three stacked up on top of each other and here's what I want you to be thinking about with me this morning as we think about generational impact what I want you to realize and recognize is that all of us have been impacted by the generations in our family that came before us it's in it's not possible not to be and all of us friends whether you're choosing actively to decide what you want it to be or not whether you're making intentional decisions, you are impacting the people behind you in your generations that you are a part of, your family, all of us. It's just impossible not to. And here's how we're going to explore that a little bit. We're going to think back a little bit. And we're going to think forward a little bit. When we're going to demystify talking about money. We want to be able to talk openly about money in this room, in our relationships with each other, the same way we talk about everything else. We just want to take all the drama out of it and make it really easy for us to do. Money is not easy, but we ought to be able to talk about it just normally, calmly. And so we're going to ask a couple of questions. We're going to say, how was it for you with money growing up in your home? Did you buy your first car yourself or was... Was it given to you or something in between? Did you in your home growing up see difficulty and strain, perhaps tension, maybe conflict as you watched the folks above you, your parents or your grandparents, as you watched the way money was a part of their lives? Did you have a lot? Did you not have a lot? How do you feel about all of that? How do you think it impacted you? Did your parents give And what I mean by that is give their money away. And if they did, were you aware of it? Maybe they gave and you weren't aware of it. Maybe they didn't give. No judgment here, just asking. Again, we have been impacted by how we were brought up, by how we were raised, by what was modeled and lived in and around us. And we can be people that choose to have impact, legacy, make a difference on the lives around us and the people we influence. It's a choice you have to make, otherwise it's just an accident, one way or the other. It's random, one way or the other, about what happens next. And again, we're just trying to be honest and just sort of take all the drama out of it and let's have really good conversations. And let's just know this, we're loved just exactly the way we are by God, whose heart opens with delight when God sees us beginning to surrender to these kinds of fantastic questions and begin to reorder our insides around learning what it means to be generous. So we've been talking about three themes, and we said first comes obedience. God is saying to us, not because God needs it, God is saying give, period. Just give. Do what I ask you to do. And then God is saying, remember, I've given everything richly to you. So that, that, that precipitates gratitude out of us. And the next thing you know, we realize, wait a minute. Let me do the analysis here. Regress back and think, oh, yeah, it's all a gift. Yes, I worked hard, but it was a gift even to be able to work hard. 
And then what happens is generosity. It's not possible for you and for me to be generous without first being obedient to God saying, please give, 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 give. And then we find thanks. And so all of that goes together into this lovely thing. And we have the choice about the kind of impact we leave. And you, you don't want to not think about the impact you leave. I don't want to think about I don't want to not think about the impact. I want to have one, and I want to do my best to have it be an impact that I'm on purpose trying to cooperate with God, to have the impact that God wants me to have at first immediately with my family. I'm a grandfather. <laughs> so I want my grandchildren and my children and my daughters-in-law to be impacted by who I am and how I live and how we live. I want that. And I'm just like everybody else, just taking it one day at a time, good, uh, next best step. So that's what we're going to do this morning. But pause, because we're so excited about what's coming beginning next week. We're busting out Christmas. You don't know this, but as soon as we get out of here this morning, a big mob of fantastic people are coming here, and it's going to look green and red and Christmassy next Sunday morning when you come in here. If you're online, you'll be able to see it. So they're coming to decorate. So we want you to see what we're doing at Christmas. We're going to talk about the birth of the Messiah using a table as a metaphor or analogy. A real table where we share in the Lord's Supper, but also the table is this big, huge, gigantic table. And when Jesus gets born, what happens is this. You and I are invited to take a seat at the table in the kingdom of God that lasts forever. A big, huge banquet. We get to come to the party. And the birth of Jesus makes it possible. That's what we're going to be doing starting next Sunday. We're going to do it through uh, December 27th. We're going to talk about this fantastic table. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to expand it. It can have leaves added to it. We can get more people in it. And that's one of the beautiful things about the birth of the Messiah. So that's what's coming. We decided we wanted you to know that. That's why I'm talking about it now. But let's go back to generational impact. How was it with your family? That's the question we're going to kick around, and you're going to hear from Bryce Lynn. He's our director of student ministries. You could call him a student pastor. And Bryce is going to talk about how money was for him and his family. You're going to love hearing from him. I'm up here. I can take this off. Good morning. There we go. I know it's been a while since I've been up here, but I like the response. So good morning. There we go. And happy Thanksgiving. I'm so excited to be able to say that. Thanks, Fitz, for giving me just a chance to, to share. It's been a little while since I've gotten to be up here. Um, but I get to share just a small piece of my passion for generosity. As I've shared before, I'm, the past, I'm a pastor's kid. My dad started churches. We moved a lot. But I never really talk about my mom. My mom is a public school secretary. These are not jobs people take because they're lucrative, right? <laughs> so, you know, we very commonly had issues with finance. That was just a regular thing in our house. See, my parents worked extremely hard. They sacrificed significantly for my sister and I. The truth of the matter, though, is that we struggled financially when I was a kid because there was regularly less money than there was month, as Dave Ramsey likes to say. We, the idea of excess or extra did not exist in my household growing up. What we regularly had, though, was this idea that God, through his people, were going to show us exceeding generosity. See, regularly, he would use his people to show us how much he loved us by a meal showing up on our front doorstep when we were tight financially or a check that specifically met a need would be in our mailbox it happened over and over in my life my sister and i like to joke that when we were in a tight spot that we were not storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust could destroy there were none we had no treasures on earth but what we had was a family that was close we had a trust in God and a close, tight relationship and trust in our church. And we knew that God would provide for us. See, what I know now is that there were generous adults who were ensuring that my sister and I always had what we needed at birthdays and Christmas and Easter and special occasions. That stuff just happened because my dad was sowing into a community. 
and they saw the best way to glorify God and to give thanks to us was to make sure that my sister and I were looked after. See, I have this wonderful family now, and we all have this different understanding of finance, that none of it is ours, that God gives perfect gifts, and they are not for us to hoard like a, like a lake. Things go into a lake, and they stop, and they stagnate. We look at it more like a river. Things come, they weren't ours, they get to us, they're not ours, they move past, they're not ours. But they continue to bring life to others. Later in life, you see, I made a decision to be on the Young Life staff. Those who choose to be on the Young Life staff are called by God, but they're asked to raise funds. In my, my journey with Young Life, I was given the opportunity to raise between two and a half and three million dollars for local ministry, about. I got to work with the wealthiest one percent, or one half of one percent of everyone on earth. And I've seen some people choose generosity and have their choice of generosity bring them back out, bring them to life, bring them back out of really ugly, dark places. I've got one specific friend. He used to say that he had no idea what the purpose of his wealth was until he found something of value to invest in. They had everything. They've been everywhere. There isn't an experience that was foreign to them. They have multiple homes. They can go where they want. They can do what they want, but they were aimless. They found that tithing into the local church and giving sacrificially into ministries of God gave their family purpose. They now have kids who are following Jesus and are following their father's example. When he started to give generously, they sowed generously. It's generational impact. And then thirdly, Fizz got to invite me to tell this quick story just recently. We were in my life group. We love life groups in this church, right? In my life group, my high school boys, we met, we always meet at Village Inn over on Dale Mabry because it's big. We meet early so we can kind of spread out in this time of, of COVID. And we were studying Peter and John healing the crippled beggar where the crippled beggar asks for money, but he gets not what he asked for. He gets his expectations far exceeded. So I decided I was going to surprise these boys. I was going to exceed their expectations, and I bought 14 boys breakfast. It's a lot of boys breakfast. <laughs> but that's not where the, where the interesting part happens. First of all, they were wild. But then I went to pay. And the management of Village Inn said, we love what you do here. We heard you say you were exceeding their expectations. Let's, let us exceed your expectations, and they cut my bill by a third. Then, th that is generosity breeding generosity, right? But the story doesn't end there. There's another young man that's in that group. He experienced that time with us. He went home wowed by it, shared it with his family. His family just sowed a gift into our student ministry. They don't go to our church for more than twice what it cost me to pay for their meal. It happened this week. You see, in Proverbs eleven twenty four, in the message translation, it says that the, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The only way that I've ever seen this principle work is when we choose to give our lives away. We want to be people of value and significance. We all have that to give, whether we have finance or not. So choose today to be like our Father who gave us everything and exceed somebody's expectations and live generously. Thanks. I was scared that was gonna happen and I've, now I've gotta follow him. <laughs> Oh, Bryce, you're killing me. <laughs> couple of details about my family growing up. Just a couple. I am the second down out of five kids, and, and my, right as I finished first grade, my mom and dad got divorced. So my mother was 33. She had my older brother who's 11. I'm seven, brother six, brother four, baby sister, three years old. My mom left college after three years to marry my dad, so she didn't have completed degrees, and she, she worked as a receptionist assistant kind of person in a family practitioner doctor's office. That's how it was for us, tight. 
So my mom did the best she could do. I never heard her fret about money, but it was clear to us that it was tight. And the details about all of that don't matter all that much. Um, here's what I want you to know about me. I came into adulthood, and I, I think I was tight inside, probably afraid. That's probably what I felt. And I had a budget, and I worked for anything I had. I never got behind financially, so, and that's been the case since for our, for our marriage. We just simply haven't gotten behind. Nothing devastating has happened to us health-wise or otherwise that we couldn't pay for. So we've been able to save money and keep up, et cetera, but I was tight inside. Or, or to put it in Dave Ramsey terms, and Bryce mentioned Dave Ramsey, he has the, his, his Christian biblical giving program is called Financial Peace University. I was not at peace. I, mean, I wasn't miserable so what happened is I began to discover that I just needed to let it go and really only in the last five or six years did I really let it go so I was impacted in a lot of ways by my dear mother oh did she work hard can you imagine 33 years old five children four of them wild boys and then a baby sister just watching three years old and my dear sweet mother she just killed herself and she worked really, really hard, and, and she's, she was wired to fulfill her duty, and she just didn't have much fun. But she fed us. She clothed us. If I wanted clothes that I wanted, I had the paper route. I mowed lawns. I bought a surfboard. I bought a lawnmower. That's how it was for us. But the most impactful thing was coming out of it a little bit afraid. Maybe you can relate to that. And so that's why we want to demystify. That's why we want to be, have it to be calm, because as Bryce so beautifully said, this is all from God. It's a river. It's not a lake. It wasn't mine. I, it's flowing by me for a while, and then on it goes to someone else. And you and I can choose to begin to be the kind of people who learn to live into that and be at peace. It doesn't mean money is easy because, of course, it's never easy. And if you're a person who right now feels the fear because there's th real threat, I get it. I totally get it. And if, you feel diff if, if you're comparing yourself to other people and because you have real need or someone you care about has real need. I, I totally get that. But for most of us, we have enough. And it's not about how much we have. In the, heart of the, in the mind and heart of God, it's about how do we want to love God and be a part of God's sovereign project in the universe to make all things good again? How do we want to let what we are flow into God's project? And you can't buy that kind of peace. It just comes because it means we're aligned with God. So a text that I want you to catch and just listen so beautifully carefully to this text. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Paul, having previously told his story, sort of like Bryce did and sort of like I did, and he's, Paul is basically saying, I'm so confused. I, do, I always am doing the wrong thing and I'm not what I want to do and I'm not always not doing what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. What am I going to do? And he says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ so friends this is not about checking off boxes this is not about seeing some place where you're supposed to be this is a journey it's a journey of loving and trusting God and God I promise you will honor you openly surrendering and saying okay okay I, I this generosity thing I don't understand it and the obedience thing I really don't get it but I'm going to start bumping forward. That's what I think God wants you to do. And I think God wants you to do that, and he wants you to do it, and God's heart will resonate with joy. Again, God doesn't need it. God doesn't need our money. God wants our hearts. But it's just the case that because everything we have has been a rich gift to us, that God is asking us to be obedient, to give first and trust God. And what happens then, it triggers generosity, because we begin to say, as I just said a few minutes ago, and as Bryce said, ah, it's all from you. And the next thing you know, we become generous people. We're looking for ways to make an impact that goes for generations. Nobody's watching you. This is between you and your family and God. And I, I suggest we don't do this alone. Do it in family clusters. Talk about your money. Talk about how you can make your money something that gives you peace because you move it forward. Now, there's hard work for some of us because we've said give 
in this order, give, save, live. Three syllables, four words, 12 letters. Every one of us can remember that. In this order, give, save, live. And you're saying, I can't give first. I, yes, you can. Just do it. Because, see, we can't please God without trusting God. If you're in control and you're giving God the leftover, then you really never, and I never really trusted God. And what God is saying, no, no, no. I gave all of it to you anyway. Just trust me. Friends, I promise you, my journey, just so you understand, a long time to begin to see it. A long time. There's no judgment here. But there is challenge. What we want to do is just quickly run through a couple of texts and make sure we remember some of the things that the great Apostle Paul is trying to teach us. We've already seen one text where he talks about his own life, and he knows he's not living under judgment. He's living under love and grace. But look at what Paul writes. And we, for those of you who are online or with us here in the room, we're repeating on purpose the text we read last week. This is Paul writing to Timothy, telling Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, Ephesus, Timothy, teach your people this kind of thing about generosity. And notice you're going to see obedience and then thanksgiving, and then we're going to see generosity happen. First Timothy, Paul writes several letters to Timothy. The first one, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, we're going to read. Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. And again, friends, don't say you're not. Most of us are, contextually. Most of us really are wealthy, even not wealth in the sense of millions and millions, but wealthy with respect to the common average. You have a lot. I have a lot. Most of us in the room, most of us online, we have a lot. Way more than just what is necessary. That's, again, not a judgment. It's just reality. Tell us. Peter, Peter, uh, uh, Timothy is telling you and me, do it this way. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope and all of that stuff instead because that stuff is uncertain but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment just a quick word about enjoyment God did not create you and me as physical human beings just to make us miserable to tell us in order to be a Christian you have to be miserable and not enjoy the physical existence of course not the physical existence was made by God and thought up by God and it's good what God is saying is learn to be content and then and learn to enjoy making a generational impact by letting you be a part of that river that flows and gives life to the ones that are coming behind you. The, the second part of the verse, a new slide, command all those folks that have so much, do, don't worry about being rich in stuff, be rich in good deeds, do good stuff with it. That's where the peace comes from. So it's commanding to do it and then it's responding because God gave richly and we, we're grateful and then we become generous being rich in good de good deeds means to be generous or even more specifically to be willing to share that's what it says here be generous willing to share and this way you'll lay up treasures for yourselves as a firm foundation for the age that's coming which means the age where we live forever in God's presence so our hearts become aligned with God and they're generous, and we live with God forever, Paul is saying, and all that stuff really is only short-term anyway. Another text that comes from Timothy. This is in a few sentences prior to the one we just read, and I want to sit on this one a little bit longer this morning. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing we'll be content with that. So when Paul says food and clothing, what he means is, friends, necessities. And of course, we're all going to differ about necessity. And depending on what country you live in and which part of what city and that kind of thing, necessity can be defined. But what Paul is basically saying, if you have what you need to get along, you're going to be okay. And Paul would agree that if you don't have what you need, if you don't have the necessities, then that's tough. And let's get that fixed. And one of the things generous people do is see people that don't have necessities, and they give. It's one of the powerful things about Christmas because of the stuff like Kathy talked about. I mean, an orphan, an angel tree for kids so that they know that they're loved because the, it's heightened at Christmas. But this is what I want you to see. You brought nothing into the world and you're not going to take anything with you when you leave. In other words, this is meant to be humorous. You never see a U-Haul tied up to a hearse. 
But I, I want to speak uh, way more personally about that. You don't take things into the world. I mean, you didn't bring anything in with you, and, and you don't leave with anything. Millard Fuller, maybe some of you know who he is, he founded Habitat for Humanity. And one of our church folks, Linda Spofford, worked with and for Millard Fuller in a previous, when she lived in Georgia. And she was listening uh, to us talk about all this, and she said, Fitz, one of the things that Millard said was, the only thing you take with you when you die is what you have given away. It's another way of saying almost proverbially what, proverbially what Paul says here. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Here's what, here's what lasts forever. Here's what it means to store up your treasure in a way that lasts forever. That's the meaning of store up your treasures in heaven. In other words, invest in things that generationally never end. And see, stuff, accumulation of it, attainment of it, that's a short-term thing. But you know what goes on forever and ever? A relationship, a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with other people. Those don't end. We had, I had, Kathy had a powerful illustration of this take place in our lives. Kathy's already mentioned it. We're just, Kathy and I are just figures in the midst of this family. She mentioned this morning when she prayed about Denise Garcia Martin dying yesterday of a heart attack. So Denise had a heart attack a week ago yesterday, a week ago, Saturday, and on the 13th, and she was rushed to the hospital, and I think she had a procedure. I don't know what exactly would happen, and she went home. Denise did, and Kathy met with her, went to see her, and Denise expressed gratitude just about life. So what's important to know is that Denise was married to Vic Garcia, and Vic and Denise had these two magnificent children, Megan, who was a classmate of our son Reed, and Allison, who was a classmate two years older, of, uh, three years older of our son Jamie. So we've known them a long time. Well, Denise and Vic, that marriage didn't make it, but Denise met and married David Martin. Kathy did the ceremony. And so we've known these folks a long time, and and. What happened yesterday is David called Kathy and said something like the following. And David, David knows that I'm talking about him, and he has given me permission. He called Kathy to say that Denise woke up yesterday morning, Saturday morning, had a bowl of cereal, but stuff was bothering here and there. And he said, the next thing you know, bam, in the car, drove her to TGH to the emergency room. Goes to park his car. For 40 minutes, the doctors worked on her, but her heart just quit beating. So here's this just broken-hearted man and and what you need to know is that Denise and David and Megan and her husband Chris live in Lakeland two kids Allison and Nate live here Allison and Nate have two kids and Allison is pregnant with a third Nate's sister is in the booth right now run and proclaim up for us this morning her name is Megan also these folks all loved each other Denise was intimately involved in her children and her grandchildren her in-laws lives in other words Denise and Megan and Allison and David, what I want you to know is that you have invested so well in what lasts forever. And I know you know that. And I know you're heartbroken. But you are a, you're a beautiful example in a horrible time of what Paul is talking about here. What really matters is how we invest in people and in relationships. And it, the, rev, the other stuff just simply doesn't matter. And we get duped, tricked. You know, there's nobody giving our culture permission to tell you that the accumulation of stuff is what life is about. Culture does what it's going to do, and it doesn't ask for permission. But we're reading the text of the word of the living God telling us that that culture is wrong. So you're being asked by Paul to become generous, yes, with your time, and yes, with your abilities and talents, but with your money, with my money, why? Because it's not possible to do it without trusting God, and that's when our hearts are right where God wants them. And you and I become the recipients of peace, and you can't buy peace with money. 
And again, Paul, Paul is saying to Timothy to say to them and to say to us, just take a step in the life of trust. Bryce quoted it, but I want you to see that Paul's words for Timothy, for us, and for those Christians, those earliest followers in Ephesus, they're 100% consistent with Jesus' words. In fact, the gospel of Matthew, from we're going to read from right now, it hadn't completely gotten down on parchment yet, but Paul would have been hearing it because these folks shared everything by, by reciting it. There would have been little, little sorts of copies of stuff, but it wasn't collected yet. And so Paul writing in the late 50s, early 60s to Timothy, the Gospels were beginning to get collected. And Paul, I'm certain, had Jesus memorized. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We want to treasure God. We want to treasure relationships. We want our stuff to be in service to making God's stuff God's program, God's project, putting all things right again. We want our money to help make that happen. And that's when we'll have real peace. So David and, and Allison and Megan, I, again, I just say to you now, we love you. And we can see how much you love each other and how much your mom loved you, your wife loved you. And just beautiful watching you, Megan and, Megan, and you, David, yesterday. I know it's hard, but you, you, you have lived well and keep living well, and we're going to keep loving you. And for everybody, I have, I have this word. Two, two kind of next best steps or best next steps. The first one is this. We asked the question last week, why do you think God gave you all of this stuff? Money, material capability, material attainment. And I want to rephrase the question slightly this morning for us. And it's it, like this. What does God want you to do with it? It's a great question. Remembering, just figuring out where I am, and let's see if I can't bump it towards trust. And oh, by the way, peace comes flying in the door behind you. That's one thing I want you to ask. And I'm suggesting you ask it with your spouse or with your children, maybe with your parents. And don't do it alone. You can do some alone, but do it with somebody else. It just creates the biblical community, which begins at home. There's another thing that I want you to do. And this is even more granular. And that's this. It's November the 22nd. You got 8 and 31. You got 39 days between now and the end of the year, if you're thinking about taxes. Go now and start looking at what has happened already this year. See if you have any margin to make a difference with your money this year and trust God. And then, this is what I want you to do. If you review this year, then you have a chance ahead of time to think about next year, and you can bump it just a little bit. I'm not fundraising. I don't want your money. I want you to enjoy peace. I want to enjoy peace. I want to be generous. I want to be generous like Jesus who gave everything. Obedience. It's hard to do. We're like stubborn children. We're like Will Murphy. Will Murphy, who is six, first grade, but who will be seven tomorrow, and his mom and dad are sitting right here, and they're the ones together with me decided I would do what I'm about to do. Will does not know I'm talking about him. Don't tell him. <laughs> okay, Will, I'm walking down the street. McLean and uh, Matt and Laura and McLean, and, and uh, they all live one block further west, and I'm walking my little seven-pound beautiful shih tzu dog, as I always do, and oftentimes she poops in John Nolanox's yard and I always take a picture and send it to him while he's cutting people open because he's an osteosarcoma surgeon. He laughs. I clean it up. You know, I'm, walking with, I'm walking with Tally, and I'm down, and I see in the front yard a little cattywampus to give him more room. Matt is the catcher. Two or three other neighborhood kids are across the street. Will's at bat, 
and McLean is throwing BP. Now, McLean, don't, hey, she does not throw like a girl. She played, she played softball. You can see it automatically. And McLean is throwing BP and throwing BP. And then she says, okay, Matt, it's game situation time. And she's calling balls and strikes on herself, and Matt's fouling them off. And so she's calling, and so he hits a base hit. That's a single. And here's the deal. Obedience. Will was refusing to come outside and practice. I just want to go to the game. Like every coach pitch, first grade, six-year-old you ever met. But she made him work. <laughs> so we, obedience doesn't come easily to us. But guess what happened to young Will Murphy, the resistant practicer? Three for three last Friday night. You don't get there. You just don't walk onto the field. You do not walk onto the field and just knock it out of there. you got to practice, and it comes from obedience. We're not being asked by God to give. We're being told to give. Why? Because God loves us and God wants us to be generous and God wants us to align our heart with his heart. And he's going to take you where you are and move you at his pace with you and no one else gets to tell you. But all of us want to take a look at it granularly, look at what I've been doing and bump it. I promise you, you can find a way to do it. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, for the Denise and her family, we continue to have broken hearts with all of them. And we thank you that we can see in the love in those families the way they interacted every day and, and with each other and with grandchildren and the way the David and all of them just loving each other. And we thank you that we get a sense of what it means to invest in that which matters and lasts forever and that we want to push away the, the untruth that somehow stuff is what matters the most. We want to we block that out. So we thank you, gracious God, that we get to do this together in a way that's loving. We thank you that you love us and you just take us the way we are. Come as you are and you'll move us at your pace in the direction you want us to go. And we are the beneficiaries of a relationship with you that's filled with peace. All this, gracious God, in the name of Jesus who gave richly of everything he's had, we can never outgive him. In his name we celebrate. Amen. My friends, I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing one chorus and outro of Graves into Gardens. And if I break out and start dancing, that's my business. And you guys, you go home and love your family and think about on purpose making an impact that lasts forever.